do we think then in order to grow swimming as a sport in this country instead of fighting to get it on bbc or on tv we should instead be fighting to get more high quality fast-paced meets essentially like you're putting on that are entertaining at the venue and then we get clips from it afterwards is that really yeah. what we should be fighting for a hundred percent a hundred percent you want to, you want to, you want to show people that it's a fast pace, mm. fun event that you go. I want to buy a ticket to that. Mm. Adam Pete's going to be there, like mm. you know, or whoever I've seen do that interview. Um, I want to be there and watch them in person. Welcome to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast, where we aim to give swimming the coverage and publicity it deserves. Every week, we celebrate the sport we love with amazing special guests and topics from around the swimming pool. And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Dan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of your favorite British swimming podcast, the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and back with me, as always, is my good friend, Dan. I would say every week, I'm very excited to speak to our guest, and this week, I really am because I've been pushing I've been pushing you a little while now to get him on <laughs> to speak all things kind of entertainment and swimming and behind the scenes of a swimming meet. Yeah, no, you're not lying. And it's very much a little bit outside the box from our swimmers or coaches guests that we normally have on. However, this episode will get everyone thinking about our sport and what we could do to make it better. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting chat, one that we'd love for you guys listening to get involved and have your say in the comments if you are watching on YouTube. Yes, so do get involved, leave your comments below, um, and don't forget to subscribe on all the platforms that you listen to this podcast, Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, get that plug in early. <laughs> now, we recently attended the innovative Sprint with the Stars meet at the London Aquatic Centre, and today we are speaking to one of the brains behind the meet, a man who's been pulling swimming meets essentially out of the dark ages in recent times, having produced the likes of the London 2012 Olympic Games, the World Aquatics Championships, and the US Olympic Swimming Trials. So please welcome on to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast, John Bailey. John, how are you doing? Hello, guys. I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, a, a bit of a new thing for this, for me, for being in front of the camera rather than behind, but happy to be with you. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly a man who's used to talking a lot. We saw you at the at the meet this weekend, and you essentially didn't stop talking for the whole meet behind the scenes so i'm really excited to pick your brains on quite a lot of topics today we're going to talk about putting on a swimming event innovation in swimming event and how swimming can can move forward i think there's a lot to be discussed yeah well um you know ask away there's a lot inside uh, inside my head from the past 10 15 years so i'm very excited to talk about it really so let's kick things off with a little bit of a background about yourself how did you get to the place where you are today and what's your involvement in swimming and I know you also produce other sports as well so how long have you got <laughs> let's, <laughs> let, let, let's do the short story so very quick story is that I you know I grew up in this sport I swam competitively at national level for city of Salford um I stopped in my mid-teens, maybe 16, 17, due to an injury. Always wanted to stay involved in the sport, though, because um, I love I love the sport of swimming. Um, and, you know, over the next few years, I volunteered a lot with British Swimming and their events teams, and that covered the likes of national championships. Um, and then when, you know, bigger things came to town, such as Diving World Series, um, international meets, Jewel in the Pool, and so on. 
Um, and just doing all that volunteering really kind of, you know, built my skill set up whilst I had the safety and security of being a student and not having to pay bills and that kind of thing. Um, and maybe, I guess, a lucky break at the age of 19 when there was a company um, called Great Big Events who were producing London 2012 and was looking for an assistant producer for the aquatic centre and, and British women said, you know, how about this guy? Um, and really, ever since then, I've worked across, you know, the, the, the sport event industry on the production side and just kind of, you know, it skyrocketed really over from, from 2012 upwards and since then um have grown and grown and gone on to produce probably six seven or eight different world championships um for fina um multi-european domestic championships uh pan-american games uh three or four world gymnastics championships two commonwealth games um as well as a plethora of other triathlon world badminton um and you know, a host of other different sports and kind of taken me to, to where I am today. It's a pretty impressive CV, to be fair. Massive <laughs> CV. So could you give us like a, like a brief summary of what your job is and what the daily tasks you have to do, for example? It's actually a very difficult question to answer because um, every single sport is different mm. and it's not as if you are, a, um, you know, it's, it's not a job where you can copy and paste from every single um, event to event, whether it's a, a domestic championships, whether it's a, an Olympic level event, um, and then take that and times it by however many sports there are, and everything happens different in every sport. But I guess the a really good overview that I always give my friends who have no idea what I do <laughs> is I say, you know, imagine imagine something that's on live TV and that's not sport and you know they always say like you know your x factor your britain's got talent like this morning anything that's live the producers of those tv shows they are the key decision makers and they they basically plan and organize everything and they are the budget holders so they will decide what where the studio is what the studio looks like what team to employ to put that show together who presents it what the music's going to be like, blah, 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 and so on. And if those shows didn't exist, then it wouldn't be on TV. You know, it's made for television. Where it's different in sport is that the TV companies who show sport, they don't organise the sport event. So there's people in the world who are sport event organisers, let's call them, who it's their full-time job to make these sport events happen. But if that event wasn't on TV, it would still exist. So these people don't necessarily have, well, they don't, 99 times out of 100, have any experience of how to make that event work for TV or for production. They are just sport event organisers. So that's where they bring in the likes of me and um, different companies, I guess, like me, to essentially bolster onto the sport event organisers and make their event fit for purpose from two points of view. One, for the in-venue audience and the production that happens inside the stadium. And then to make the event work for TV. Um, you know, if you turn on the TV and you watch, let's say, the World Championships in swimming, 
it just so happens that the athlete walks out at the right place at the right time and then the camera's on them and the graphic is their name and so on you know that just doesn't happen by accident and mm. um, it's all being queued to the second behind the scenes so hopefully that wasn't too long an answer but it's it's, it's extremely difficult to give a, a short answer to that question no i think that's an amazing answer and i th- Almost I wish it was longer because it doesn't do justice. <laughs> it doesn't do justice to the work that goes on behind the scenes and that you put in because that sounds like such a tough task to do, essentially, when you think of all the things that have to go right to get that one split second thing to look good. It's hard. Mm. It's really hard. A lot of stresses, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? That's exactly why I love my job because I I could only ever work in live TV. Um, that's that's the adrenaline of it. You have one shot to get it right. Um, mm. You know whether it's whether it's for the audience in the venue or whether it's the audience at home. You're live and you and you in, in terms of planning an event and putting the production together. There's no you know there's not an unlimited time. You can't go home at five o'clock and just pick it up the next morning at nine o'clock. Mm. It's this event is coming whether you like it or not and you whether you're whether you're ready or not um so yeah but that, that's that's the thrill of it now i'm massively interested in obviously you've got a background in swimming you you were a swimmer for a very long time but what what's made you stick with producing swimming events because i know you've had the opportunity to do football events and other such sports so why have you stuck on the path of swimming right now that's a great question and one probably i've never even thought about but i think there's there's probably several reasons one is you know i, I love this sport I, I grew up with this sport you know i trained more than night like all athletes do and you know fell in love with it and all my best friends um in this area to this day are still the ones i used to train with not the ones i went to school with um so there's there's that love of it and um, i guess the second thing as well is it's like a it's like a family so when we go and do all the fina events and you know, we go on the Swimming World Cup and then we have Worlds and we have um, different championships, Europeans, whatever. You see the same athletes, you see the same coaches, you know, all the event staff are very similar. Um, particularly on the Swimming World Cup, we do the tour. So we all stay in the same hotels, we fly together, we get on the bus to the pool and back together. We then work as a team. And when I say work as a team, I mean, I mean the athletes as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, it becomes a, a, an event, a family in a way. Um, and I guess the third reason is having worked in football a lot and still do um, at the top of football, really. So, you know, I've produced a lot of Man City and Tottenham Hotspur in particular. I was I worked there for two years as their stadium producer in their brand new stadium. Um, for me, there's, there's too many there's too many cooks, there's too many people doing too many jobs. Whereas in this, in swimming as a, as a lesser sport in terms of development and, and money and exposure, there's so much more room for growth and change and, you know, making a difference and molding things the way that you want to mold it. And that's the exciting bit, really, which is, you know, a large part of what I'm doing right now. So would you say your aim is to create a legacy for yourself more, the, more so than join others in other production areas like football? Yeah, but you know what, and it's and this is you know hand on heart, honest truth. I would, I honestly don't care about me. That's why I work behind the scenes. You know, my name's never on the front program. Like I, I honestly do not care about that. But I, I care about this sport so much that, yeah, I want to use my skill set 
to make sure that the sport can evolve and get better and get more exposure to the levels I personally think it deserves, which I think what is what you two share, mm. which is great. Um, whereas in football, you know, it'll probably get lost. You know, I'll, I'll do a good job. I'll put on a good show at Tottenham Hotspur at Man City and stuff. But realistically, they could probably go out and pay an agency loads of money and probably, we'll probably get the same or similar result because they'll use... They'll just throw money behind it, mm. whereas I know I can. I know that I can use my skill set in this sport to to really make a difference in a sport that just can't throw money at everything. Yeah, and we're going to touch upon later on this podcast sort of your visions potentially in the future of how swimming can move forward and what ideas you have. Um, but first of all, I think we want to start by touching upon the sprint with the stars meet that was well when this podcast goes out last weekend because we we obviously got invited along. It was. Partly your creation, partly Ed Baxter's, if I'm right in thinking. There was the two of you, kind yeah. of a brainchild. Um, and it was a f thoroughly fun day out at the London Aquatic Centre. So where did this vision come from? And wh why does it stand out as a meet? Because obviously we were there. We know why it stands out as something different. But for you, as someone who's produced it, why do you think it stands out? Well, let me say, first of all, I, I can't steal any ideas here because so Ed Baxter um, came up with the idea back in 2019 and he teamed up with a couple of, of colleagues and um, put on a essentially a pilot that ran at Macclesfield Leisure Centre that I had nothing to do with at the time. Um, and I think they realised the potential in it. And I got a Instagram message from, from Ed. Um, 2019 was a crazy year for me. I, I did um, World Swim World Cup, European Short Course, British Champs, um, as well as, and that was just swimming, like as well as all the other sports I produced that year. I think I, I did a World Gymnastics Championships and so on. And Ed messaged me and said, there's a, there's a, there's a thing here we've done. I see potential in it but I have no idea how to get there. I heard you're the man to speak to about <laughs> events. So it obviously, you know, piqued my uh, intrigue. And um, I was like, yeah, I can, I can absolutely help you with this. And unfortunately, then obviously COVID happened. Mm -hmm. And um, it just turned out that, right, you know, last weekend was the first time we managed to do this on, on this kind of scale following that 2019 pilot. So it's actually been really three years in the making. Um, in terms of idea um, and many months in the actual actual planning um, but I guess the premise is that we you know we had four of the top of the best male athletes in I guess world swimming um, which was Luke Greenbank on backstroke Adam Peaty on breaststroke James Guy on butterfly and Jacob Whittle on freestyle and the same with the women so we had Medi Harris um, who's had a fantastic breakout year on backstroke Molly Renshaw on breaststroke Canadian record holder um, Sydney Pickram on butterfly and Anna Hopkin on freestyle and we basically had many heats for kids to come and enter across all four strokes top man in each age group went through to the final and in the final they raced that Olympic athlete on that stroke um, with a handicap head start and what makes that? What made the meet stand out? What were the sort the, the key deliverables to make it such a great meet that stands out? Look, the the thing that Adam PT wants to do and is fully on board with, and 
you know, isn't just a gimmick, it's genuine, is he wants to inspire young kids. And there's a closeness there between kids accessing, essentially their idols, and combine that with the fact that you're in probably the world's most iconic aquatic centre, and multiply it by a fast-paced, fun high energy meet that's got music that's got an athlete introduction on a world level for nine-year-olds mm. with you know pyrotechnics and lights at the beginning and um myself behind the scenes pulling together some of the world's best brains in student events delivery and that includes john mason who's the official fina host who hosted the day and you suddenly putting on a platter a world level meet for essentially nine to 16 year olds. And that is really a, um, I was gonna say money can't buy, obviously it's not, it's not a free event to enter, <laughs> but it's something that is extremely unique in this um, day and time that just those stars align, that you've got the likes of the current crop of British athletes that we have, mm. and that are inspiring these kids alongside the crop of British talent behind the scenes that can make these things happen. And I think that's why it's so unique and exciting right now. Yeah, I've never been done before. Yeah, it's that chance of giving essentially like 1% get to the elite end, the, the right of the Olympics, they get to see your work in person. It's the 99% that actually make the sport and you're putting on that experience for them essentially as well. Yeah, and you, you don't, what was really amazing is that, you know, myself and, and the team that I brought in, and they've said the exact same thing to me over the last few days, they're used to putting on meets, or we used to put on meets where, you know, it's aimed at elite competition, and behind the scenes is all about making um, peak performance possible, and making sure that the environment is correct for the athletes, and then combining that with a thing that's right for broadcast and whatever. Here it was about taking kids' dreams to meet their swimmers mm. and applying a similar um, event delivery, and it was it was incredible. Like mm. I remember, we opened at seven thirty-two a.m. We opened the doors to let spectators in. A two-minute delay of what it should have been, <laughs> um, and um, and people were just walking. Like I, I didn't even think about the fact that people hadn't even been to the London Aquatic Centre before. And they, you know, never been, and he came. I'd I'd never been beforehand, no. Yeah, and and you know, people were walking in and were just, you know, amazed already. And the amount of messages that we've had um, from parents, in particular, since Mm. since Saturday night, Mm. has just been overwhelming and um, something that I'm not used to as a producer to get that direct feedback from your audience. Um, So it was it was incredible, and you know, we can't wait to do it again. Yeah, that's, I, that was one thing that stood out for me. When I was speaking to some of the parents, they were saying that I, we went into the building with a very shy 9, 10, 11-year-old and they came out kissing their guns as they came out to race Adam Beatty. <laughs> and they were like completely stunned. And that's the takeaway from it, that these kids are actually experiencing what these Olympic guys do effectively and you're giving them the opportunity. So we were fully behind this initiative yeah, from yeah. the get-go. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we were... I was really conscious that I wanted to make sure that we, we made that kind of environment for the kids and make it as much as possible as as elite as it possibly can be for them to experience. So even smaller things, like when we were on the site visit and we were deciding um, 
you know, we, when you go on a site visit, you decide what spaces you're going to use. You're going to right, what we're going to use that room for. What's the athlete flow going to be? How do they get to the race? How do they? What do they go post race? Where do they get their kit? Like, mm. you know, you've got to you've got to deal with all these things, especially when you have 700 athletes arriving at your venue. You, it'll be carnage if you don't put these things in place. So, when we were talking about the route to the race and how do they get there, um, there was a you know a discussion like, oh, at, London, at these level three meets. We just put them on the poolside and we line them up and they walk around. And, you know, I, I, I was not having that. Like, I wanted them to go into a final call room where the mm. chairs were set up like they would be, at, you know, like they were at the Olympics. Mm. And I wanted there to be a floor manager in there with a headset on that was queuing them out one by one and they would walk out of an athlete entry section. Um, you know, we could have put on the exact same meet on Saturday and just been a bit more lap today about it and just you know they walk around to the block and whatever but you know i was so keen on them um having those experiences and even things like the accreditation they had and you know i wanted them to have a lanyard around the neck and that said athlete on it and mm. you know l- little things like that um i wanted to make it as elite as possible to match that thing that the elite athletes do get yeah do you know what my next question was going to be how Obviously, this meet isn't something that can happen every single day of the week. There's a lot that went on behind the scenes. But what are the key parts of it that other clubs can take away for their meets? I think you've almost answered that. Yeah, look, there's there's a million and one things that goes on behind the scenes, um, you know, that I could spend hours explaining how I do my job. But <laughs> the actual hardest thing was getting a date. And that oh, was... Really? Be- that was because we had to align eight Olympic athletes' schedules oh, along yeah. with the the core delivery team schedules, including myself, and the availability of the venue. So that was that was actually the most difficult thing, and that took a long time in the beginning, and why it's actually taken so long since post-COVID that this thing's actually happened, um, especially in a year where there's been three majors and mm. everyone's schedules are all over the place in terms of the the world the world performance team. So, yeah, that 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 was difficult. But I think, look, for for other clubs, it doesn't cost a lot of money to think creatively, and. I all you know whether it's whether it's world level or whether it's British champs or even less. Like I still volunteer at my local club. You don't have to do things because they were done that way last year, or the meet before. Mm. Like think, how can we just change? How can we do the flow differently? How can we introduce athletes out differently? How can we schedule the meet um, sessions so that we might have chance to. You know, even if it's just on one open final, we get to do a final and introduce people out. And you know, these small things that don't cost any money. You know, how do we make that more exciting for our athletes? Mm. So going back to Sprint with the Stars, then obviously there were so many positives. But what would you say there's areas to improve on? Yeah, I, look, I think we we learned a lot. We definitely learned a lot. Um, luckily, there was nothing major that went wrong. You know, everyone walked away with with you know smiles on their faces and a very happy day. Um, you know, there's there's been smaller things that you know people have requested for the future, which I completely agree with. Like, um, for example, adding a podium to the end of the, um, the 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 race where they get out and you know elevate in the top three, which I you know I fully agree with. Um, we learned little things like um, like how actually tired the stars got after doing seven fifties yeah. max. <laughs> oh man, and, so yeah. and you know, and to, and realistically, we want the race to be as close as possible. 
And on some, sometimes it, it worked and sometimes it didn't. Um, I think perhaps we, you know, maybe left the, the, the workings out of the handicap, like just maybe a little bit too late. It is difficult though, because you'd have no idea how fast they're going to swim in the heats. Mm. Um, and there was quite a lot of kids that swam like two or three seconds faster in the final compared to the heat. <laughs> um, so, it's, you know, it's hard to do that. But I think maybe we, we put a bit more time and thinking into that. Um, we, we also learned a lot about like access flows around the venue, um, particularly in like kind of the Martian area. Um, it was a unique thing where, you know, no meat, maybe ever, I might be exaggerating there, but has, has run so many 50s back to back. And if you think about the behind the scenes logistics about how fast you have to churn those athletes through a Marston yeah. area for, mm. for nine-year-olds to not miss their race um, is really difficult. Um, but, you know, partnering with, you know, Chelsea Westminster Swimming Club and who did a fan, an incredible job um, spearheading it for us and, you know, all of their volunteers and officials were provided and um, and did a lot of that behind the scenes courtroom stuff. I think there's been a huge legacy not on, on their side as well of learnings so that, you know, mm. when we do it again, a lot of things, a lot of these things will automatically iron out. Um, but from a from a logistics operations point of view, I certainly have learned a few things as well. Mm. And it certainly was one of those kind of entertaining meets on poolside. Like the music was unreal. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you <laughs> welcome. This is the best. It's the best playlist I've heard at a swimmer meet ever. I've actually got a funny story about that. Someone I got a, <laughs> during during the finals, one of my staff members radioed down to me asking. They had a member of the public asking them if we were selling the playlist on CD. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. No way! It was, was so like, good. That was. I was like, A, no, and B, on a CD, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are there any other kind of tricks that you have in your back pocket that make your swim meets entertaining, like the music? Look, music is key, and um, there's, there's, a, there's a phrase that um, I always abide by my work when it comes to doing the live section of entertainment, and it's something I learned at university, actually, which offer very experienced um TV producer and he said you can forgive bad pictures but you can't forgive bad sound and you know take it this way from maybe Saturday say if the big screen went off for 30 seconds and it went black all right some people might notice but you know realistically no one will remember that if we were in the middle of introductions and the PA system went off for 30 seconds it would be the most catastrophic noticeable thing and everyone yeah. would remember it. Yeah. And that's why so much time has to go into music. Um, you know, I go to a lot of events in, in uh, smaller countries or less developed organizing committees, and they just think they can put a playlist on and, and press go. And it, it really isn't like, you know, we have to tailor what you do. And I, you know, I really pick my moments with the music and, you know, I look at the beats per minute. I look at where the announcements will be within the tracks and how the drop happens when you introduce lane eight, or in this case, it was lane nine first, because um, we use 10 lanes. Um, but all of that is thought about and, you know, and planned and programmed, and it isn't just a matter of, of press play. Um, I think the second, another important thing like you ask is, is, is timings. Mm. And, you know, I was really... We were in a u- unique situation where we had we didn't have 
uh, you know, we didn't broadcast it. And we purposely did that. And that was so that we really remained focused on the in-venue audience and the experience and the, the fast-pacedness of the event. You know, you, you would have noticed that as soon as John Mason wrapped up the post-race interview with, with the swimmer, it was mm. bang, intro track, next mm. race. Mm. And we made a punchy 90-minute final sessions. We fit 28 finals into an hour and 28, which included athlete introductions and post-race interviews. Mm. Um, and that made it fast-paced. And I think looking at your timings and making sure that um, that's snappy and there's something going on all the time to look at, but keeping it within that 90-minute window is crucial because, you know, I'm a football fan as well. But if football was longer than 90 minutes, it's boring. Mm. And it's the same in swimming. Like, you have to make sure you are hitting your windows correctly because we all know nobody wants to sit at a pool for 10 hours to watch people going up and down the pool. It's too hot, especially at that aquatic centre. It was very hot. <laughs> it, it, it was, yeah. Maybe maybe you should put DJ on your CV, CV as well. That seems like something you should put on there. <laughs> do you, maybe. Um, do you think there should be more swimming meets live on YouTube? Seems though it's a free platform to use. No, Ooh, I think okay. I think I think it kills it. Okay, I think I think what we do need more of, and you know, for me going forwards, working on these kinds of events, um, when when we stream British Swimming Champs, and we you end up with a three-hour heat session on YouTube, like mm. anything that's like that is just. No, someone, yes, and someone, someone that's not a parent or a direct watcher that wants to watch a certain race will never come across YouTube and, and go, I'm going to watch that three-hour meet. True. You know, yeah. even finals, even if it's an hour and a half finals, you're not going to watch it. Mm. In the age of TikTok and short-form content, it is all about capturing an audience that doesn't want to click on swimming. And for me, going forwards with the likes of Ed and other businesses and, you know, um, even with FINA, we have to condense the race into no more than two minutes, regardless of what the race is. And it should go out as short form content as either Instagram stories, Instagram posts or TikTok posts. And gone are the days of streaming for three hours on YouTube endlessly. It's not how you share and grow your sport. Interesting. That wasn't really yeah. the way I thought that was going to go. But I think that's that is the the next gen answer, if that makes sense. Yeah, like you know, ten years ago or however long ago it was, it was like, oh my god, we can stream on YouTube, like we can grow our audience, like you know, people that can't get to the venue. In my opinion, it's actually made it go backwards because mm. all it's done is reduce ticket sales because people can stay at home and watch. Yeah. And it's got people into this rut of, we press record, we get to the end of the day, we press stop, and that's it. Like, mm. oh, it's on YouTube, go and watch it. No, this is not how you grow a market. You grow mm. a market through short form content. So how would, you, how would you say then, so how do we gain the exposure of swimming when you want to try and promote, let's say a distance race from 400 upwards, let's say? Look, I'm a massive swimming fan and I will never go on YouTube and watch, um, like, do you know what? I'll give you a great example. Last week I was at World Juniors 
and the first medals, the first final is, on day one is men's 400 free. Mm. And on YouTube is the full race of that 400 free. Me, who produced the event and interested in it, this amazing, exciting young Brazilian lad who won, um, I scrubbed through the race. And okay. I went to like the, the last 100. Okay. Okay. I think, look, there are, there are obviously hardcore swimming fans that you cannot cut out of this equation. But if we are talking about growing an audience... When you grow an audience, you have to take it to people who aren't interested in the first place. That's what growing an audience is about. And you will not grow an audience by putting in front of them a four, an eight, a 15-minute race um, because they wouldn't even watch that in football. You know, your football fan, once it's happened, they would watch maybe 90-second highlights of the goals going in on their phone. Mm, that's true. They don't, you know, match the day. They don't just press play and watch the whole game again. Um, so yeah, I, I think even in distance races, sad to say, it's it's the intro of the winner walking out before their race. It's the dive. It's the first fifty, like setting the pace, and then you know it's it's maximum of a two minute clip, which mm. includes which is so important for me and something that we're pushing more with Fina is celebrations at the end of the race, mm. but importantly post race interviews. Helps build a connection to the athlete then as well, doesn't it? Because then kids have got someone to follow because you can't follow a swimmer with their head down in the water. You can't actually relate to that person. You can't see their face. Whereas after Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, th and this is something over the years I've been hammering on about with all the organizers of the events I've worked with is that if you, look, if you watch TV and you see someone walk out to a race with a hat on and the goggles and the mm. full kit, you don't even really see their face. You don't see them in the water. If they don't win, you don't even see them at the end of the race. Mm. Mm. And if there's no post-race interview, you don't hear from them. And even if there is, it's usually quite short. So you will have seen in recent years, like things like LED screens in the venue when they walk out, there's now, you know, animated headshots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes. that stemmed yeah. from us going, we need to show people their faces, we need to show people mm. their personality. And, you know, realistically, like, you know, there's some massive standout swims like Popovich at Europeans last week where you remember that race. But realistically, a lot of people, you know, when I was talking about him last week at World Juniors, the first thing people said was, oh, yeah, on that BBC interview, he said he called himself a skinny legend. Mm. That's true. You know, yeah, yeah. that's what people people remember the things they say in the post-race interview. Yes, they get themselves to that level by the amazing work they do in the pool. But if you didn't have that, you would have nothing to excite an audience about, you know? Yeah, it's nothing to grasp onto, yeah. Do we think then, in order to grow swimming as a sport in this country, instead of fighting to get it on BBC or on TV, we should instead be fighting to get more high-quality, fast-paced meets, essentially like you're putting on, that are entertaining at the venue, and then we get clips from it afterwards? Is that really yeah. what we should be fighting for? A hundred percent. 100% and because you want you want to you want to show people that it's a fast paced mm. fun event that you go I want to buy a ticket to that mm. Adam Pete's going to be there like mm. you know or whoever I've seen do that interview um I want to be there and watch them in person and I'm going to get an amazing light show and I can get a beer whilst I'm sat there on a Friday mm. night and I don't want to sell this sport as 
oh, well, I saw it was a four-hour session on YouTube that just looked like the same thing for four hours, and mm. I have to sit there. No one's going to buy tickets to that unless you're a parent or a family member. Mm. So the, the, the simple answer is yes, fast-paced, short-form social media content focused at the social user. So it's My kind of similar to opened. what... Yeah, it's kind of similar to what ISL are trying to do then, even though they're still putting out a two-hour sort of stream, let's say, on, on YouTube. Yeah, but it is fast, yeah. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be fast-paced. I think, I think they have gone a little bit too far from the the sport. It's all about show sure. and yeah. graphics mm-hmm. and things flying above the pool and um, you know a DJ at the side that doesn't do anything. In my opinion, like you know, um, you have to have, you have to strike a balance. You really, you really, really do. Um, but yes, short answer is short form content fast-paced meets i love it i love it honestly yeah yeah. eyes like i said eyes wide open now wide open is there (laughs) anything you're looking at before we kind of round up this podcast is there anything you're looking at other sports right now and saying we need this in swimming we need to take this away is there anything in particular because you do football you do gymnastics is there anything potentially you're hoping to add to the swimming landscape do you know what's really interesting? I know we beat this sport down a lot, but in terms of Olympic sports, I think swimming's at the forefront of what is done. Mm. Um, on, not on everything, but on a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I think look at looking at some of the things that are at Europeans this year on, on the athletics, um, that people were being wowed at, like the, the entry of the 100-metre final, for example. We've been doing that in swimming since... Um, since I, well, I say I, we, uh, the team at Great Big Events did that 2016 World Short Course in Canada. Mm. Um, so automatically they're six years behind on introducing athletes out. So um, when I, you know, when I went to Tottenham Hotspur, they didn't even do any production or anything like what we do in swimming. Mm. So I actually took a lot of those ideas from swimming and took them into the Premier League. And we, you know, we won awards for how we, our content was delivered that year at Tottenham Hotspur. So I, I don't think we should beat ourselves down and always look elsewhere. Um, I think swimming does an amazing job, um, particularly at you know world level when there's more budget and you know even at British Champs level, you know the work that we do at British Champs and to to do that level of production on especially on finals and have a studio at the side of the pool with John Mason in it and was doing a build-up show with special guests and doing little games and challenges. You show me any other national federation in the world that does that for their domestic championships. Mm. You know, even the US with all their money that they put into Olympic trials once every four years that I produce with them, um, which is an incredible spectacle in the venue and building a pool in a basketball arena or an NFL arena. Mm. The connection with... You know, we're doing it off peanuts, let's be honest, for at British level. And I think the product is fantastic um, for, for the budget that goes into it. So, yeah, let, look, let, we always want to improve. We want to always do new things. I hate getting stuck in the way, just because, like I said, because it was done um, before. It's exactly a meeting I had with Fina this morning about some of the world level events and organisers of upcoming world championships are putting things in place because it was done at the last two or three world championships and I'm trying to change that thinking and especially for Melbourne this December we're trying to do a few new things and um, we're trying to reduce medal ceremony times on all that kind of thing 
Um, but yeah, I don't think we need to, you know, beat ourselves down too much. We we do a fantastic job already in this sport. Mm. And that is a good place to end, I would say. Yeah, I knew definitely. I knew this chat would be interesting. Knew it. <laughs> John, thank you so much for coming on to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I have learned tons, especially from Honestly, kind yeah. of the, the output that we're going to be putting out over the next few months, years, yeah. everything. I think I've learned tons. Uh, I hope everyone has taken away what you do behind the scenes. And hopefully you get even more recognition because after this weekend, we were, we were blown away by... It was the enjoyment that everyone there got, which yeah. I haven't really seen at Swimming Meet for a very long time. There wasn't one kid without a smile on his face. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, it was brilliant. Yeah. Well, my pleasure, and thank you for having me on as well. And thank you for coming down on Saturday. I'm glad you enjoyed it. No yeah. Well, we're looking forward to the next one. <laughs> Can't wait for it to be honest with you. Yeah. I just, you do. A, you do a fantastic job. I'm having job. a holiday first. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. By all means, do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Honestly, good stuff. So that just about rounds up this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And May and Dan will be back in one week's time. Yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast with Scott and Dan. We want to thank you for joining us and invite you to subscribe to the show as well as checking out the Propulsion Swimming YouTube channel for weekly tutorials and videos to get your swimming fix. We will be back next week. Until then, we'll catch you on the next one.